Okay, Luke and I have discussed. Um, actually, uh, if you would like to ask a question using the roving mic, can you just put your hand up just to give us an indication of how many there might be? Oh, good. <laughs> okay. All right, well, maybe as we kind of go through a couple of questions that come through on the text, we will uh, see if there are any questions via the roving mic. Um, there is a, uh, we, we've had someone text us twice with two different questions. And as this person is the husband of our boss, our boss <laughs> uh, we feel it would be a career-limiting move if we don't ask, ask the question. The question. <laughs> you, you gave it away! I can't believe it. Okay. All right, so the question is, do I grasp hold of knowledge, the truth, or does knowledge or the truth grasp hold of us? Is knowledge individualist <coughs> or corporate? Is that good? Well, I'll just say something and then hopefully others jump in. With reference to the first part of the question, but it's both ways. It's just a matter of the order. Um, when you are coming to knowledge, you are seeking it and trying to lay hold of it. Now, something may be laying a hold of you to help you. Uh, that would, of course, be God. And uh, we can count on that. And the spirit of God is known as the spirit of truth. That's where the spirit of God works, is in the area of truth. I believe it works in history. I think, for example, if you look at the history of science and technology, you will realize God was there. Or you're going to have to have a very abundant picture of serendipity and luck. Because so many of these things that you learn about how scientific and technological advances occur, so many of them are it's quite contrary to suppose you have these people called scientists and they grind out results. No, they don't. And that's actually at a level somewhat below the really creative effort uh, in science, which is nearly always one where uh, method has a role, but intuition has a role, uh, and just blind uh, chance often is what happens. Now then, after you have laid hold of some knowledge, it begins to lay hold of you. And that's a wonderful part of the story, especially in areas like spiritual disciplines and so on. Uh, when you begin to practice spiritual disciplines, generally you're, you're making a shot in the dark, unless you've had some very good teaching. But then after you do that, you begin to have knowledge and it draws you in. Um, the latter part of the question was about individual or corporate, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we don't, have, uh, we don't have opportunity to know what individuals could do, but it wouldn't be much with knowledge. And uh, if you think about any field of knowledge, you, you, look, you look at mathematics and you look at it historically in a cross-cultural way, and, and you realize the incredible effort that went into this often far beyond any individual's bright idea. And generally speaking, knowledge does not work by bright ideas. It works by people who are trying to sort things out and get away of doing this. It's very interesting to study simple things like number systems. 
and what they can and cannot do and how they develop naturally and so on, how they depend on things like how many digitals have you got on your hand and your toes. So you have number systems that developed in some countries where 20 was the basic thing because at, at that point you ran out of fingers and toes. And uh, then you have other systems that are tied to local circumstances. Uh, and then you have these huge leaps, like I don't know if you've tried to balance your checkbook in Roman numerals lately. <laughs> it's quite a challenge. Uh, and you can't do much with Roman numerals. Uh, and uh, especially algebra is a real mess. With it. Uh, so uh, history, history and culture is really important to knowledge. That's true in religious knowledge. I mean, why didn't God just dump the whole thing on the first person that walked by? I mean, why did it take? Well, it's because of what comes for human beings through development. And that is not replaceable just by individual effort. And it's certainly true of the scriptures. Mm. Would you like any more? I mean, um, there's a, f a phrase, Dallas, um, you've used, which I think is helpful, is a reality is what we uh, trip over when our falsehoods don't uh, work. And I think the conversation um, to answer this point about it's the two-way relationship mm -hmm. because it is about a living being, a God and us. So it is a conversation. It's mm -hmm. a, well, a dance between us mm -hmm. as, we, as, as we receive and as we give back. So we take the knowledge of our understandings before God and test out whether they are real mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. And we do that in reality, in the worlds we all have, the homes we have, the relationships we have, the offices, the schools, and all the rest of it. Mm. In that place, we test out what we understand and see whether it actually yes. is, you know, actually is the reality. And if it isn't, we try to go back with him and ask him to give us something else mm -hmm. and to help us understand it. Mm -hmm. But I think that that um, relational aspect is important in this. Mm -hmm. And oh, knowledge absolutely. will come with us and we take it back. And between us, we try to find that out. So um, it's a, uh, yes, is a dance, I think, as well. Um, and it goes on in reality. So reality is where we experience it. And um, we, we test it and mediate mm -hmm. these ideas on the home and the office yes. and workplace. I mean, is that Absolutely right. Yes, we, we don't know if it will work. And you're confronted with these statements of Jesus about anger and lust and all these things negatively. Of course, there's the other side, which is prayer, prayer, doing what is right, striving for what is good, all of that. We don't know if it'll work. And we learn by putting it into practice. And that's the point of Jesus's teaching about if you are, if you continue in my word, that means put it into practice wherever you are. And as you do that, 
as my disciples, then you will know. You will know, and the knowledge then will enable you to do uh, or not to do what needs to be done or not done. And of course, that's freedom on knowledge. It's like getting on a piece of metal and stuff and winding up in London when you were in Los Angeles. That's freedom also. That's positive freedom. That, where did that come from? Knowledge. And of course, airplanes don't look like they used to do. You know? when, they, when they built the first one, I guess yeah. it was a glorified bicycle yeah. of some yeah. sort. Yeah. Just like in automobiles, we had horseless carriages. We didn't immediately come to Audis. You know? <laughs> and that's just so natural in everything human. And that's because God is interested in developing character. Because he's really got big plans for humanity. Can we, can we go back to the, the, the part of the question, though, about where that's held corporately? Because I, can, I, I hear what you're saying about that. I, it's just, um, I think there is a sense of how we hold that as a, as a, as a group, as a, as a company, as a body of Christ. How does that work? Because it could be quite individualistic. What you said, it could be just heard as being very individualistic. But doesn't it work that way for the Bible society? How does it develop? How does it grow? It's a communal <coughs> process of sorting things out, bouncing off of one another, trying things. Some things didn't work, some things did. Uh, that seems to me that any corporation in that strict sense uh, follows the same rule. Now, uh, what, do you, what if you wind up with a church, which is a corporation in a different sense, and they don't know that? And they think the, the secret is to get it all right and then hold on. Right. Well, that's a disaster. Right? <laughs> Same way in a marriage. You don't get it all right and then hold on. You are on, in a process. Mm. And something incredibly wonderful comes out of that. But it's by that interactive relationship. Okay, any questions? Oh, Roving Mike, here we go. Is the... Um uh, Mike's coming. There we go. Is the danger then for modernity? Um, I'm thinking, obviously, with my art hat on here, because I think it so often leads the parade, even, even more than philosophy, uh, if I may say so. No. <laughs> he speaks truth. He speaks truth. Today. Um, isn't the danger that... Well, may I quote a poet? Oh, please. We say there is no God quite easily when walking back through man's concreted achievements. But on reaching the park, our attention is distracted by anthems of birds coming from the greenery. We find ourselves shouting a little louder now because of the falling leaves. Our voices are rained upon by the falling of streams. We should not take our arguments for walks like this. The park has absolutely no manners. And when, when man cuts himself loose from God, yeah. when we cut ourselves loose from our roots, we die, we atrophy, and we die. And so there is a death, a stench, a smell today mm -hmm. that surely <clears throat> the body of faith can speak out against the lie. Mm. The yes. truth speaks so powerfully, doesn't it, against yes. the lie. If you're sitting comfortably, I suspect I'm not giving you the truth. 
I'm giving you truth in Linkter's form, strawberry flavor. I know you all like strawberry. I quite like it myself. It's nothing but the truth. But it's not the whole truth. No, no one ever admires the whole truth. I mean, it's nice, but where would you put it? People who neglect the strawberry flavoring do not get asked back. They get put in their place with nails, if necessary. Mm. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. And the nails usually are necessary. <laughs> any, uh, any further questions? Oh, behind me. Hello, again? Okay. Great. I'm sure you answer this in your book, Dallas, which I have bought. Um, but <laughs> I'm fully with you on the, the pursuit of knowledge. And uh, where does wisdom fit into all this? Mm -hmm. Where does wisdom fit into the equation? Uh, wisdom is like the upper reaches of knowledge. Wisdom is knowing what to do with what you know and what you don't know. Uh, and uh, in a fortunate circumstance, it results in being able to achieve what is of genuine value in your life. And that means you have to sort out what is genuine value and what is not. Uh, but wisdom is the capstone of knowledge. The proverb says, get knowledge, and with all of your knowledge, get wisdom. But wisdom has to do with how you live. And knowledge doesn't necessarily have to do with that. And of course, Christ is the wisdom of God. Oh, okay, question at the front, thank you. Oh no, you've got two mics, it's going to be in stereo. Okay. Thank Jeff. you. Uh, one of the problems for the Pharisees was when they said the statement, we know. And the danger of this, and I'm, I'm really looking for, to for you to help us here, is the danger of coming to something so good and saying this is great, is the little part of us says, yeah, we know now. And we go back to our churches, you don't know, we know. Because mm -hmm. we've read the books, because we're doing the spiritual right. formation. So how, how do we make sure there's humility that stops this becoming the badge of honor? I think we have to um, be humble with our knowledge and not assume that we have all the answers and always be open, as you were saying earlier, of being able to listen to other people and not condemn what you hear, but to listen to it um, with humility, really. So I don't know if you'd expand on that, Dallas. Well, Paul, you know, Paul's word on this, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, was he had learned this lesson. If anyone think he knows anything, let him understand that he does not yet know it as he ought to know it. And that's the business about the whole truth. The whole truth is a commitment, but it never ends. And uh, so uh, now this, this touches on a real problem for uh, human beings and for religion, and that is the problem of being right. Do you have to be right? And if you are right, what does that do to you? And so I think that we start as Christians from the position of recognizing we're wrong. And now we have to 
handle, negotiate that passage, well, if I'm wrong, how could I be saved? And their answer is, by the mercy of God. We're not saved because we're right. If we're right, it's probably because we're saved. But we're not saved because we're right. And that's very hard for many people to take because they have it so ingrained in them that uh, the being right is the whole deal. And, uh, and many people choose their church in terms of, well, is it right? Uh, well, you're off on the wrong foot at that point, you know. There ought to be another reason for it, but recognizing the limitations of knowledge and humility before it. I was going to ask whether or not if Jesus is telling us that being like little children, to have a childlike vision is, is part of that. That a friend of mine whose goddaughter is walking across dressed in jeans and a t-shirt, I think, across a park with her mother. And a woman comes walking the other way with a little poodle. And uh, the woman looks down at the little girl and says, oh, what a nice little boy. And the goddaughter replies quick as a flash, what a lovely little pussycat. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is something that, that childlikeness is not childishness. And there's an insightfulness that uh, I was because somebody's asked a question on the, on on here about how do, how do we share this with young people? I think carefully. <laughs> um, and and that's, I'd probably go back to the questions, which sounds like a cop out, but I don't think it is because if I allow the questions to arise, I also find God at work there, and that's perhaps where I perhaps where that step towards the knowledge is. is coming there they're asking the same questions they're taking those initial steps towards God it's actually God reaching out to them but um, I think that's right but um, I don't know mm. I'll phrase that as a question and then maybe I'm safe <laughs> I think um, trying to understand your the first question which is really I think quite important and and it's is knowledge um, I think the, the biblical understanding of knowledge is that G Jesus is true knowledge. He's a revelation of knowledge. And there's something about in the Bible about knowledge being a person. Jesus is certainly the truth, the actual incarnation of truth. So when you meet Jesus, you meet truth mm -hmm. in, in all its, mm -hmm. its aliveness. Can't get away from that. So is it revealed or is it taken? Do we, do, do we come to truth or does truth come to us? The Holy Spirit is called the, the one who will guide us into all the truth. So somewhere in that, he's revealing himself and the Father because they are truth and knowledge. He's doing the revealing as well. He's also called the convictor, the one who makes us uncomfortable enough or gives us that, that desire for something more, that this cannot be all there is about being human, about knowing, about living. There must be another dimension. There must be more to this relationship with Jesus. There must be more to salvation, more to freedom, more to prayer. There's, he raises the hunger stakes there and also satisfies them, of course, because they're, they're satisfied in, in him. And yet somehow, 
the, the paradox of all that is that we have an accountability for what we do with that. Is it just individual or is it corporate? Pastorally, my experience is that often, if the Holy Spirit is nudging me, he's nudging a whole load of people around me. He seems to move in community and move people. Sometimes from across the globe, and you'll find this at the scientific, the high esoteric level of scientific discovery, you'll find people discovering something in Sweden, somebody else across the, the, the pond is, is doing exactly the same. There seems to be a corporateness, but, but I think bottom line on all this is actually knowledge is relational because God is all knowledge. And the more we come into him, we're, we're coming into who he is somehow. And, and we, we shouldn't lose that. It's not just the addition of facts. It's, it's something about the creator. It must be in there. Have you got one more question? Yeah, yeah there is a question here. Just How does... It refers to the kingdom of God, uh, Dallas, that you were talking about. How does this kingdom of God and our interaction with it relate to our future and the creation's future? I.e., what are we working towards? What is our hope? Well, now you will have to decide what you're doing as an artist, and what what is it that happens, both for the creator of an art object, whether it's uh, dance or uh, sculpture or whatever it is. Um, you you're going to have to settle on what you do as an artist. Now, I believe that art is a process of making a vision of goodness present to the viewer as well as the creator. Um, of course, not everyone shares that view. Uh, but I think that's what you're doing. Now, if that were right, then what you would be doing as a creative artist would be uh, doing your work in dependence upon the movement of God to show you things that you never dreamed of in your creative process. So as you bring the material of your particular art together with the vision that you're going to make available to people without them having to be told what it is, which is, a, to me, a standard for excellence in art, is you don't have to tell people <coughs> what it is, the vision. Uh, and uh, then I think that this is one of the great things about art, is that God is in this work for good. And one of the things that makes people, including the church, very uneasy about art is when it is living, you cannot nail it down. You cannot specify what will happen. And that's why all dictatorships come down on art, is because they know that this is something you cannot control. Uh, and it isn't just because of obstreperous artists, but because there's something in the nature of art that is living and moving and especially if you are interested in repressing the truth or goodness, you can't do it in the face of art. So uh, you, now, similarly, in writing a grant proposal for money for research, developing a business plan and putting it into action, 
uh, thinking about one's uh, yearly cycle of sermons or whatever it is you're doing, uh, you want to be expectant that you will find God acting in your action. And uh, the definition or description of grace I gave is God acting in our lives to accomplish what we cannot possibly accomplish on our own. So we would see that in the result. I don't know if that responded, but... I mean, did ask at the end... Well, I mean, that's, I think it may have had a more eschatological... Did it have a, I don't know where the question is. Did it have a more eschatological question? What, what is our hope? What is... It's my question. It was more eschatological. Um, I just, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about um, motiva motivation, really, for things like um, the state of our world in terms of global warming and all those things. Where, where does this, being part of the kingdom of God, how does that relate to all these issues and what as Christians should we see as our role for those, for that kind of work really I guess I mean is, for artistic work? is, is cre not for art, no for a f is, is the creation yes um, well, uh, of value mm -hmm. what do we do about mm -hmm. you know, this world yes. at this moment yes. and does Can it have say, a future please. If you don't understand eschatology, it's not the end of the w world. <laughs> Go ahead, Dennis. I can't follow that. <laughs> Actually, I don't think there's going to be an end of the world uh, in any absolute sense. Uh, and I believe that uh, matter, if I can speak in that way, is a source of endless creativity and that no one knows what its limitations are. But it is a field of creativity for human beings. Uh, and that is, where, that is what we are to do, whether it's farming or uh, writing poetry or singing or whatever it is. We are involved in the creative process and we want, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we want to expect grace to touch it. And it will touch it in unexpected ways, but also we can look for and ask for things in those domains that we are working. And it's obligatoire, isn't it? Um, it's obligatory. Tend the garden has never been rescinded. I think it is obligatory, and that's one of the reasons why it's so terrible to see people with the creativity crushed out of them, is that they are, they are often in a position of uh, hopelessness and deadness that they can't identify, uh, but uh, it's just that they have ceased to be creative. And of course, hopelessness does that to you, but on the other hand, creativity brings hope. 